happened. If you're keeping count, this is actually the eighth message we've had in our summer series, Gleanings from Genesis. Let's quickly recap. The first week was in Genesis chapter 1, a good place to start when you're talking about Genesis, and a little bit about creation. We talked about that being a God of order, not a God of confusion. The second week, we moved along a little further in Genesis to chapter 4, where we had the story of Cain and Abel and the manifestation of sin. Then we took another leap in Genesis to chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. Around that same time was Father's Day, so we took a more giant leap, took a step forward all the way to Genesis 22, and talked about the sacrifice of Isaac, coincidentally upon Father's Day. And the last couple of weeks, we've moved to the story of Jacob. We had the great deception, deception with Jacob and his mother Rebekah as they stole the blessing that should have been for Esau away from him. And in last week, of course, Genesis 32, we had the greatest wrestling match ever, but Jacob was wrestling with God. So seven weeks have already transpired. Today we jump again into Genesis 37. It's the eighth week, and today we examine part of the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors, which, by the way, we'll find out, if you don't already know, arouses a tremendous amount of jealousy among his brothers. Now, the story in Genesis 37 of Joseph and his coat of many colors that we'll read a little bit about today is something you're probably very familiar with. It happens to be the fourth most popular bedtime story given to kids when you give them something of a biblical story. It doesn't happen as much maybe as you used to where kids get a bedtime story from the Bible, but when it does happen, it seems to be the Joseph and the coat of many colors is the fourth most popular. So today, yeah, you're probably familiar with it. Hopefully today you'll glean a few things from it that maybe you didn't before. But nonetheless, we land in our story today, or in a continuation of our summer series in Genesis 37. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. We'll certainly refer to more of the story than that. But stand with me this morning as we open our Bibles to Genesis 37. Again, we're going to read the first 11 verses and part of it we'll pick up a bit later in our paraphrase. So Genesis 37, starting in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the, son, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, who is also Jacob, we've learned that, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. In verse 9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. 
Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Well, Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, thanking you. First and foremost, always for the day, like we did earlier, Lord. We also thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord, each and every time we're together. We also thank you now, Lord, for the reading of your word. We ask today, Lord, that the message we shall receive today would certainly apply to our lives. We want to understand Genesis 37 a bit better. Perhaps we've heard it before. But let us listen to it today, Lord, and see how we can learn from it and apply it to our lives. So let us be thankful for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the narrative of Joseph, which we begin now in chapter 37, is one of the longest narratives in the Bible. In fact, many people find and observe that the narrative of Joseph, which now starts in chapter 37 and goes all the way through the end of Genesis in chapter 50, is actually longer than the entire narrative pertaining to Father Abraham. But while that is an interesting observation, what we actually focus up on this morning is the blatant favoritism of Joseph's father, Jacob, who is also Israel, and the resulting jealousy and envy that happens to be among his brothers. Now, somehow, someway, if you happen to go to sleep and miss the fact that there's jealousy involved, or somehow didn't hear the reading, or couldn't follow along, jump back to verse 11, because it makes it rather obvious. It says his brothers were jealous of him. They were simply jealous of everything happening and related to Joseph. Yeah, his father does love him quite a bit. But now we find that their brothers were immensely jealous of Joseph. So we recognize that it's obvious the fact that jealousy is in the issue here within the text of the story. We pause for just a little time out. Because there happens to be already an application in which we could receive. Which is this. In everyone's life, we've had at least a time where we've had some jealous feelings. And perhaps even today, we may be having some jealous feelings over someone or something. It seems to be that the most we can to try to hide it or we try to deny it, we still have jealous feelings at times. And if they're not addressed, it seems like they never go away. Now, it's possible that they may lessen over a period of time mostly because the person we may be jealous of may not be in our life at that particular moment, but they seem to linger and fester for quite some time. The best we can to deny it or to hide it, something just eventually makes it prompt its ugly head, and all of a sudden, jealousy is once again an issue. For these brothers, for Joseph and his brothers, it was prompted by not one, but two dreams. Go back to the text. You're probably familiar with it. The first dream, you find in verse 7, was the fact that they had grain stalks or grain sheaves, probably wheat, in which Joseph stood upright more superior than all the others. And, of course, they had an issue with that. The second dream, similar in nature, was with the sun, the moon, the stars. In verse 9, all bowing to Joseph. And what does Joseph do when he gets the dreams? 
Well, of course, he doesn't make it any better upon himself. He goes and shares the dreams with his brothers. So even more intense feelings of jealousy arise. Essentially, the two dreams deepen the brothers' hatred of Joseph. They just could not stand the thought of paying homage, of worship, or reverence, of bowing to Joseph. They hated him. And that's the essence of the first 11 verses. But it's not the end of the story, as you know. Because as you read further in the story, it is revealed that they were so jealous in verses 18 through 24, they were so jealous, they wanted to kill him. Look in verse 20. They say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And they almost did that. Had it not been for the oldest brother Reuben, Look in verse 22. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. So Joseph was spared this death by the oldest brother Reuben. But as the story goes even further, it happens to be in verse 25 that a caravan of Ishmaelites come by on their way to Egypt. And now prompted by brother Judah, they begin to ponder. Well, we've thrown him that guy we can't stand we wanted to kill we've thrown him into a pit but hey let's not do him some harm as we paraphrase 25 through 27 let's not do him some harm but let's be the recipient of some monetary financial means by getting rid of the dude and so they sell him to the ishmaelites they think as long as he's gone out of our life good riddance let's just make some money from him so then in verses 29 through 32 the whole issue of jealousy is not gone just because now they've sold him to the Ishmaelites. Now it's raised his ugly head once more because the plot was carried out even further with an extra lie added in because now they're going to go back to their father and tell Jacob or Israel that something's happened to his favorite son Joseph. So to make up this concocted story about a wild beast had killed Joseph, they put goat blood upon his coat, carried it back to dad, he looks up on the coat. He thinks, oh my gosh, my son has died. He's shocked and devastated. That ends the story of the chapter. With the jealousy not getting any better by the time you read verse 1 through the end of the ver uh, uh, chapter in verse 32. So the jealousy is still there. But when you think about it, it's not just one account in Scripture where it happens to be an issue of jealousy. Remarkably, jealousy appears everywhere in Scripture. In fact, we could take a look at a few. We got the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain killed his brother Abel because God preferred Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. In Luke chapter 11, we have an issue with what's called the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came home, the father had a big feast for his return. The older brother was so jealous that anger and resentment raged from him as he told his father in no uncertain terms, to paraphrase of 29, Luke 15, he said, all these years I serve you and behave myself and you never throw me a big party. But then the son of yours, who I don't even consider to be my brother, goes out and lives like a tramp and you, feel, you, you kill the big fatted calf for him and throw a party. He's jealous what's happening to the younger brother as he returns. Another incident that's found in Scripture 
was when Saul was jealous of David. Now, interestingly, the students in my Sunday school class have had this account recently, where you find that Saul was jealous of David and tried to actually harm him by throwing a spear at him not once but twice. But in the account in 1 Samuel 18, it happens to be the returning home when David has killed Goliath. This is when the men are returning home after David had killed the Philistine. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul gets really jealous because they recognize that David has killed more men, more people than he had. And he now desires to kill David. So jealousy is everywhere. We just touched upon a few. But we can fill the next 30 minutes talking about one episode, one account, one story of jealousy after the other. They fill the pages of the Bible. So with jealousy being so prevalent within the scripture, within the pages of the Bible, maybe we need to slow down just a little bit upon our issue and topic of jealousy and just ask the question, what exactly is jealousy? Well, we may already know, but here's a definition that can help. Because basically jealousy is a feeling of unhappiness and anger because someone has something or something that we want. It's anger or unhappiness because someone has something or someone that you want. Or reworded. Jealousy is when we resent God's goodness in other people's lives and ignore God's goodness in their own lives. Being jealous, being, being envious of other people's blessings while we take for granted our own blessings. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Is being jealous of other people's good fortune while we ignore the blessings we have. We're all immensely blessed. We're so blessed we have so many blessings we can't even count them. But we yet look upon other people and think they've got better blessings or more blessings. And it's being jealous then of their blessings or what's happening to them in their lives. And having said that then, let's recognize that jealousy can take many forms upon many times of different things and different circumstances. Sometimes we're jealous of other people's possessions. Like, how come they got the nice presents for Christmas and all we got were these stinking clothes? Or what about when you're in high school? When I was in high school, I drove a 1974 Ford white four-door Grand Torino. I thought that was pretty cool. Until I go to school and see someone's 1974 Pontiac GTO. I'm thinking, I got a dog. They got a great car. They got one of them big muscle cars. And we get jealous of the fact that, well, at least I'm driving a Grand Torino, but they got the GTO. So we're jealous of other people's possessions. Or sometimes we're jealous of other people's privileges. Like when I was in high school, I had a curfew that first started at 10 o'clock. I'm thinking, why do I have to be home at 10 when others get to stay out till midnight? Or at times at work, we may find that so-and-so is getting to get off work a little bit early, but we're jealous because we have to stay till 5 o'clock. Or they get an extra time at lunch, and we have a regular lunch time. So sometimes we're jealous of other people's privileges. 
Sometimes we're jealous when other people are successful. It's like, why did Bob get the promotion instead of me? I've been here longer. I deserve it more. Just ask me. I know I do. And he got it rather than me. So we're jealous of other people's success. Sometimes we're jealous of other people's popularity. We're thinking, why do they have all these cool friends? And I got people like Colton. Making sure you're still awake. Or sometimes we're jealous of other people's appearance and their good looks. And the way they look, you think, why do I have hair that's falling out and disappearing? And then you got Bob back there that's got a whole set of hair. And Chris is still gray, but it's still there. We get jealous of other people's hair or their looks, thinking, why does my body look like this when Ben's got that really good-looking body? We get jealous of other people's appearances. Or we get jealous about why do they have a job that I want? Or why don't we have children like them? Or why does my house get decorated like this and their house looks better than mine? Or why do they get to go on vacations and I don't? It goes on and on and on. We have far more jealousy in our lives than we want to admit or to even realize. So perhaps today, yeah, it's a message we've probably heard before that texts are familiar with. But maybe today we just need to slow down. In fact, yes, I have some jealousy in my life. And it's over things that are truly insignificant. It's maybe just time we realize that. As we begin to realize that, maybe here's something else added to it that maybe we really need to know. And the fact is this. It is impossible to be happy and to be jealous at the same time. You ever thought about that? It, it is happy, it is impossible to be happy and jealous at the same time. I mean, basically, when you are resentful over what God is doing in another person's life, it steals your joy. And it leaves you then feeling miserable and empty. Let me say that again. When you're resentful over what God is doing, a blessing in another person's life, it steals your joy, and it leaves you feeling miserable and empty. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. I mean, jealousy, if you let it fester and stay and remain, it will actually eat you up on the inside. I mean, it will mess you up like a killer virus. And we've all had times in which we've been jealous. And still may be carrying some of that today. Years ago, when I lived in Texas, I kept a deer lease in Mississippi. 3,000 acre lease. Used to go back there at least every December and sometimes in January. Because when you deer hunt, there's things called a rut. That's when the big bucks begin to look for the does and they get all kind of crazy. So it's the best time for your deer hunter to go look for, a, if you want a big, big deer, that's the best time to go. In Mississippi, it happens to be around Christmas time to New Year. So every year about that same time, just after Christmas, I would take my best friend Wade and we would go to Mississippi from Texas. And I would already be hunting there and have an idea about where some of these deer were at. And I would set him in the best spot possible for him to fill his tag. Well, it happened to be one year he shot this big, nice 10-pointer. And I get this little dinky deer. And so when he killed the deer that I really hoped he would, 
the feelings that surfaced kind of surprised me. Because all of a sudden, now I'm really jealous that he got to kill this really big deer, this nice wall hanger, and I get a little dink is all I get. So I got a little jealous about the fact. And it began to eat at me on the inside. I'm thinking, Kurt, this is stupid. I mean, why are you upset? Why are you jealous about what you set him up to do? You should be happy for him. It's the biggest deer he's ever killed in his life. You should be happy for him. So I had to process that. I had to think about that. And I began to then congratulate Wade on the shooting of big deer that he hoped he would ever get. But that's what happened. If we don't think about it, don't address it, and just leave it within, it can actually begin to eat us up. And, and treat it like a virus. Even can make us sick. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to jealousy, one of the worst features may be jealousy is that it strikes most often in the family or in people that you're closest to, like my best friend Wade. I mean, it's people that we know well and work with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, they end up being the source of our jealousy. I mean, seldom seems to be a stranger. I mean, occasionally we may get jealous of the stranger, but it doesn't seem to last if it's a stranger. Because it's what he is. He's a stranger. He may come and go, and he comes and goes quickly. But a worker or a family member, they're there day after day, month after month, year after year. And sometimes, if we don't address it, it will fester and stew to the point where family divisions are imminent. And they may never mend. It can result in severe actions and even some harm among people. And it seems to be that as a situation gets worse and worse, bitterness and hatred it sets in. That's what begins to happen when we don't address jealousy. So, a rhetorical question. Is there anything worse than, or anything more ugly than petty jealousy in our lives? And perhaps there's not. So today, yeah, it's a story we're familiar with, but if today we have any kind of jealousy in our lives currently, or we've been there, or we think that we could be jealous of something or someone again, then let's heed these steps to help us address the jealousy. Because we need to be asking ourselves, what can we do about it? If we want to get rid of this virus and put it away permanently, what can we do about jealousy in our lives? So there's six things today that will help us. And the first one is this. It seems really simple, and it is. Admit the problem exists. I mean, the first step to solving any problem is to simply admit that, yes, a problem does exist. James 3.14. But if you have any bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Simply admit the problem of jealousy exists in your life. Say, I'm jealous because of whatever. Now, I recognize that sometimes that's really hard to do. Because a lot of times we'd rather do anything to admit that we're jealous of something or someone. I mean, we'd rather at times admit to be angry about something. And maybe it's easy to admit that we're angry about something because it's so obvious that we're angry. Or sometimes we'd rather admit that we have fear of something. But seldom do we find anyone ever wanting to say they're jealous. We even find occasionally that we'll admit to the fact that we've made a mistake or we're a bit lazy. But when it comes to jealousy, yeah, nobody really actually wants to admit they're jealous. 
And we ask ourselves, why? Why are we so reluctant to admit that we have jealousy? And perhaps it's because when we admit that we're jealous, it opens up and reveals the true pettiness in our heart. Years ago, when I was young, really young, my brother and I played baseball in Hazleton. My brother was a better baseball player than I was. It took me several years to actually say that. Tom may already know that because Tom played baseball with his suit and he's thinking, Kurt, I've known that for a long time. Ken was always a better baseball player than you. But Ken was the catcher. You know, and Ken, when he had his gear on as the catcher, I mean, I would toy around playing second base or third base and really didn't play those baseball. I mean, I didn't play it that good. And I would occasionally get a hit. Ken got a home run one time. I never did. But when he had that catcher gear on, he looked just like Johnny Bench. And that was when the Cincinnati Reds were really popular back then with Dave Concepcion, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. I mean, they were really winning all the World Series. And they kept looking at Ken. He was kind of good. And they said, there's Johnny Bench right there. And I'm thinking, no, there's not. And I had jealousy over the fact that they recognized his ability. But it, it took me years to fact to realize he was just always better than I was. Now, he's not here today, because I can say that. If he was here, maybe I'd still be reluctant to say that. But we have to admit the problem exists. Before you ever can solve the problem, you have to admit the jealousy issue exists. If you want to get rid of jealousy in your life, you must come clean before God, you come clean before family, stop denying it, stop excusing it, stop justifying it, stop minimizing it, say, yes, Lord, I'm jealous, and let it be taken care of. I mean, it's not some small problem. It could be a big problem. And it'll only get bigger if you don't admit the issue exists. So first of all, just admit the problem exists. And secondly, then, is this. Remember, you're special. And a lot of times when people express jealousy, they're expressing insecurity in their life. When you are jealous of somebody else, you reveal an insecure heart. Like, I don't accept myself for the way I look or am. I don't like myself, really. Or I really think I need to be somebody else. When you think those kind of things, at its base, every time you're jealous of somebody, you're saying to the whole world, I'm insecure. But God says, you have no reason to be insecure. I made you. I love you. And you are very special in my own eyes. And we know this because Psalmist tells us in 139, verse 13, 14, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are someone special. Now God made you different, and he made you unique to anyone else in this world. But you are still very special. So a third thing that maybe we should be doing to rid jealousy in our lives is simply practice some humility. In John chapter 3, particularly verses 22 through 36, is when John the Baptist is baptizing people in Jordan. In that account, many of John's followers, John the Baptist has followers, and many of his followers then become really jealous as people then are going to Jesus for baptism rather than John. In verse 27 of the account, John puts everything in perspective. 
when he says a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. What John is saying here is that no man has a right to claim any honor or any task unless God has given it to him. And then once a task and honor has been given to him, it remains with him. But in the same way, if a task is not given to him, then it remains not given. Which means that John had been given a very specific task in his life of preparing the way God gave him that task, that purpose, that role. John was not to be the Messiah. The task that John had was to prepare the way for the Messiah. So John knows who he is. John knows who he is not. He knows his role. He knows his place. So John is humble. He's practicing some humility. I mean, he has a chance, if you will, to exalt himself. But he chooses to exalt another. John avoids jealousy because he's practicing humility. To avoid jealousy, we must have humility. The South African preacher and teacher Andrew Murray said, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten, because he has received the spirit of Jesus, who pleased not himself and who sought not his own honor. How do we avoid jealousy? Humility, humility, and more humility. Humility puts others first. What happens when we have no humility in our lives? Jealousy. What happens when we have jealousy, we have anger, resentment, arguments, and even maybe disaster? So marching further then, a fourth thing that we can do in our lives when we still have the issue of jealousy is to simply trust in the Lord. Jealousy at its root is a lack of trust in God. It is actually doubting God. When you're jealous, you're saying, God, you didn't do for me what you did for the other person. So you must not love me. You must love them more than you love me. I mean, this sounds like brothers and sisters fighting over who they think is their favorite of the parents. But God has no favorites. I mean, that's seen evident enough that he had his only son to die for all people. So whenever we're jealous, we're doubting God's love. We're actually questioning his authority and his right to do whatever he wants to whoever he wants. That's why it's a sin. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. It means trust him no matter what. Listen, when it comes to jealousy, when it comes to not trusting the Lord, Satan just loves that. Satan loves the fact that we're jealous. We know 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 talks about our adversary, the devil, lurking around, always looking for his next victim to devour. So, I mean, as jealousy then is, and envy appears in our lives and, and it's still there and festers and there's bitterness, all that gets set in, make it actually possible then for Satan to grab hold of it and to twist it, creating strife and division and hatred and even more intense anger. Satan just loves it when you have jealousy and bitterness and resentment. Warren Worsby captures significance by saying, the author of a 14th century preacher's manual, wrote that envy or jealousy was the most precious daughter of the devil 
because it follows his footsteps by hindering good and promoting evil. Satan loves it when we have jealousy in our lives. He'd rather you not be heeding any message today pertaining to jealousy. He wants you to keep caring for as long as possible to destroy you and the people around you. Now, when it comes to jealousy and how Satan loves it, think about this, how that sometimes carries into the church. Imagine how Satan enjoys any and every form of envy and jealousy. And how envy and jealousy in the church only causes division and strife and stoppage of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he wants. So how can we, or what can we do to prevent Satan from using jealousy in the church? Simply trust in the Lord. Trust him, no matter what. And then fifth, be grateful for what you have. Enjoy the blessings that God has already put in your life. Every one of us have a tremendous amount of blessings. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances. In every circumstance, we got some sort of blessing that we can recognize and not be jealous of any other blessing. During our vacation Bible school this past summer, we were blessed to be part of the harvest of the kingdom. We had no less than six children who came, who rise to the occasion, who desired to have Jesus to be their sponsor. But is that number of children within our vacation Bible school that had Jesus want to be their sponsor as compared to other churches in our area or maybe even our association? That number may be much greater than the other churches. But we should still be grateful for the fact that we had that blessing. That children came, they heard the word, they received. And too many times today we see the congregations jealous or envious of one another. I mean, I told you before the illustration of how a pastor sometimes will go to a conference, he'll stand next to someone and ask him how many members in this church. He'll say 200. He'll leave that guy, go stand over here and say, how many is in yours? He'll say 50. He's more comfortable because his church is smaller, so he'll stay with the 50. Because he, he's jealous of the fact that someone may have more members, more people coming than someone else. But there's no room for that. And instead of being caught up in pettiness of envy and jealousy, we just need to be blessed and, and be grateful for the blessings we have. Essentially, gratitude is a great antivirus for jealousy. If I can raise my gratitude, my jealousy seems to decrease. And then finally, the sixth thing that maybe we can do in our lives to reduce the amount of jealousy, to eliminate it completely, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. When I focus on God's plan for me, competition should become completely irrelevant. When I am so focused on just doing and being what God made me to be, it really doesn't matter what's happened to anyone else or how much you think they've been blessed. Psalms 141 says, But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. Hebrews 12, 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Both of those verses stress the importance of focusing on Christ. Let the jealousy that breeds among competition become irrelevant, because it truly is. Just focus on the big picture, and you're part of the kingdom. Just do what God has given you to do, and don't worry about what someone else may have, what they're receiving, or be jealous of something they have. 
eliminate the competition. It's irrelevant. Every Monday, there is what Phil and I watch on TV, American Ninja Warrior. You ever watch it? American Ninja Warrior. Actually, tomorrow night, they'll be in the final stage. But American Ninja Warrior is set up to the point where you have people who are com coming to compete and are running through obstacles to see if they can be among the best time. They do it in several different cities throughout the country, and they all culminate in Las Vegas. And they have to sometimes get from stage one to stage two, stage three, and finally stage four, if they can make it and get to the top, the fastest they can get $1 million. That's the whole premise of the show. But here's the thing. You would think for people competing for $1 million, that they would get all super competitive and, and, and not even want to help one another. But you don't find it at all in American Ninja Warrior. Every time you find another person going through all the obstacles, you see them cheering for each other and wanting to help the person. I mean, they're all cheering and helping rather than having competition and being jealous. And they're all trying for a million dollars. Now, we take that little illustration and begin to apply it to our lives. We also then need to be warriors. And maybe not American Ninja Warriors, but we need to be warriors in the sense that we're living a life to please God. And, and when we're having jealousy in our life, you really don't please God because there's no room for jealousy in the lives of Christ followers. In fact, if we have jealousy in our lives, it most likely is giving someone a negative witness. So the thing to do is to whatever way we can is to eliminate the jealousy and give a positive witness to others who are watching. So it's sad but true, but jealousy does exist. So how can we eliminate jealousy? We've outlined a couple of things. First, admit the problem exists. Remember you're special. You're very special to your creator. Practice humility. Trust in the Lord. Be grateful for what you've been blessed with and feel blessed. And finally, focus on Christ and allow him to rule in your life and just do what he's given you to do and worry about nothing else. These things hopefully will take care of jealousy so it can be the positive witness that Christ wants us to be as we live and others watch. Father, let me thank you for this message today, what seems a rather simple message, Lord, of how we can eliminate jealousy into our life. Lord, we just admit today, as we reflect and think about jealousy, that we do have that. Now, maybe we don't want to recognize it, but it does appear surface at times. So today, Lord, we thank you for a message as we go through our series that can help us address something that should be categorized as a sin. To have covet of something or to be jealous of someone, Lord, is a sin. So let us today put that sin aside. We can eliminate that in our lives and begin holy fresh, meaningful lives for you today. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.